Alright, hello, this is uh, Tyler with Chat. I'm here today with uh, Justin, my co-host. Hello, everybody. And we have a returning guest today from our Xion episode is David. Hey, I'm back, guys. And we got a new guest, and that is Owen. Hello, happy to be here. Alright, so yeah, um... Well, let's, uh, the topic today, um, well, we kind of, uh, a, f- a little while ago, I held a, a poll on Twitter about which topic we should cover next, and the next topic we're t- covering today is Zeno and religion. Um, so, but before we get into that, let's just kind of go into our, our usual stuff. Um, so, we usually start with discussing any news um, that's relevant to Molosoft. Um, lately, and I think one of the things we wanted to bring up was, um, there was a producer of the, uh, was it the Warriors Orochi series? They were interested oh, yeah. in, oh, yeah. yeah, making a Xenoblade Warriors game, or Zeno Warriors game. Um, yeah, I think this was a couple weeks ago. Um, mm-hmm. the, it was, so, yeah. Yeah, what did everyone think about? I mean, I know it's not, like, official. He just said it would be, like, the characters would be right for it. But what did everyone think about that? I mean, I think it could work. Xenoblade 2 especially. Or actually, X as well. Or Cross, rather. Um, there's a lot of different fighting styles that can be represented into it. And I feel like um, most of the Xenoblade games give you situations that would lend itself well to that kind of gameplay. Where you're just fighting a bunch of enemies on screen you have all sorts of different fighting styles doing all these cool flashy super moves so yeah mm-hmm. i mean if they do it hey I'll, I'll play it yeah um yeah oh you can go first <laughs> okay yeah i was never really particularly interested in like the dynasty warriors style games mm-hmm. um like i remember when hyrule warriors got announced and came out i kind of slept on it i didn't i never touched it so that's good because um, now there's been three versions <laughs> Really? Oh my god. There's a a 3DS version, and then there's a definitive Switch version, so... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I feel kind of jipped getting the Wii U version. Same. Ultra Max Plus edition content. Yeah, except I I thought the Wii U version was actually really fun, or the Hyrule Warriors in general is kind of fun. So I'd be kind of interested to see what they would do. I mean, the best part about those games is probably the music. We all know you want to hear those remixes. That would, that would be great. <laughs> um, it's kind of funny, actually. Uh, I uh, Some friends of mine, uh, specifically one, uh, we were talking about this. We've been talking about this idea for months, and we've been throwing around the idea of like uh, getting together to make a... Uh, Xeno, a hypothetical Xeno Warriors roster about what we could imagine it being. <laughs> so yeah. when this came about, we are just like, wait, weren't we just talking about this? Um, <laughs> also, um, worth mentioning is that I believe, I, I haven't read the article myself, I think there's also something about it in the East uh, Warriors as well, like, he mentioned both possibilities. Yeah, he mentioned yeah. East and Xeno. Yeah, exactly. I was like, what? I mean, I haven't played an East game yet, but uh, yeah, both, my, both would definitely be interesting. I mean, Falcom I hear makes really they, good games. <laughs> if they ever do an East Warriors game, they need to have a battle system or at least like an alternate mode where you can kill enemies just by running into them. <laughs> that, that would be Charge. fitting. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, and I, 
Now, if we did, if they did a, a Xeno Warriors, so would, are we thinking it would just mostly be Xenoblade and not like Xeno Gears or Xeno Saga? Oh, absolutely. I'm assuming so. I can feel licensing. So, well, I mean, but I mean, it could we can not even that. Just look at Cosmos or somebody would be in there. Yeah, I could imagine like a couple Xeno Saga reps, but nothing for Xeno Gears. I, I, I'm not expect. I'm not even expecting Saga to be honest. I mean, look at Fire Emblem Warriors. <laughs> how that was mostly Awakening and Fates. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it's yeah. Those those titles were very much dependent on like what was most successful. And I actually have Fire Emblem. Yeah. I have the special edition of Fire Emblem Warriors, and I really like the game. It's a lot of fun, but I think the representation could have been better. That's my big issue with it too. It's actually you know if they had. Oh, go on. No, I just find it a, a dramatic increase in terms of the gameplay of Hyrule Warriors. Uh, I just think Fire Emblem Warriors is more fun to play. There's a lot more strategy involved. Hmm. It's like you, you direct your units around the map, and um, like uh, like a traditional Fire Emblem game where you, like, you pick your units and you, you tell them where you want them to go, and so you're kind of multitasking everywhere. It's really cool. I only played Dynasty Warriors on like PSP, PS2, I think, and... Like, it was kind of repetitive for me, so I didn't stick with it. Yeah. So I just kind of, every time a new game got announced, I was just like, yeah, well, that's money I don't have to spend, you know? <laughs> yeah, I honestly hadn't heard about the series until Hyrule Warriors came out, and I got that on Wii U. I really pl- I really enjoyed it. I got through quite a bit of it, and then Fire Emblem Warriors came out, and I wasn't intending to get it, but um, when I was pre-ordering... Uh, no, I was buying um, Mario and Rabbids. The guy at the cashier said, like, we still have special editions for this. I'm like, yeah, I'll pre-order that, so. That's how I got my uh, Tokyo Mirage Session special edition. The guy was just like, oh, we still have this, and nobody's buying it. You want it? Yeah. So, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. I slept on that game for a long time, but I just picked it up this September, and I'm really enjoying it. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would... Well, I guess as the old Zeno fan, I would, I would hope they at least like, well, maybe include Cosmos or maybe do a a Zeno Saga like DLC thing because I could definitely see like Xenoblade being the the main focus. Yeah, absolutely. Cosmos would would might be DLC, but again, it'll just be yet another game where. We're only seeing Cosmos. Well, these games, um, these games tend to (laughs) these these games tend to focus on three campaigns. So for Mm -hmm. Wars, it was Ocarina of Time, Twilight Princess, and um, Skyward Sword, Uh. and then uh, then there was um, in Hyrule Wars was Awakening, Fates, and uh, Shadow Dragon. So I can imagine this being like Xenoblade One, Two, and X. But um, Uh. worth mentioning is that Fire Emblem Warriors did have a couple guest characters from other series. Like they had one from. Uh, Fire Emblem Gaiden, uh, they had Celica, which is known as Echoes, Shadows of Lentia. They also had Lynn from, uh, I think that was the original Fire Emblem on GBA that came to America for the first one. So I don't think having like having like a singular or like a, a single exception would not be out of the picture, but um, it'd, be prim- right. it'd be primarily Xenoblade. True. Which, that would be, I, I mean, I'd be okay with that, like having the three different, because I definitely... Uh, would look forward to seeing how they would represent or cross if like how they would do go about doing that yeah i've talked to this uh, i was friends about this because obviously it's like you want to get some of the villains pr- probably all the protagonists and but there's 18 protagonists in x or 18 <laughs> characters in x so where do you draw the line there <laughs> exactly exactly okay um so as far as any other news um well there's there was that smash direct oh yeah, the rumor. Short confirmed. That, that, Woo! 
Yeah, the, the leak that didn't come true. <laughs> Poor Cosmos. Yeah, yeah Poor Cosmos. Grinch. Oh, but at least we uh we got the uh, Rex Rex me costume, huh? I'm actually I, well, I'm I'm more happy about the the songs that I've included than anything else. Just same here. More Xenoblade more Xenoblade stuff is always good. Um, yeah. You know what? I didn't check like what what songs are they like adding or they're adding at least th- two or three. I think like they're doing the battle theme and I think one of the boss. The- I can't remember exactly what it was, but um. I, th- I just read on Twitter actually like 10 minutes ago that like one of them was a remix or something. So eh, that's cool. Ooh. I don't think X got any representation at all. Uh, there was no. uh, the, the, the there's a skull that's getting a spirit. Oh, oh really? Wow. Yeah. It's like the formula skull, I think. Huh. Oh, the one that has the, like the, there's a figure for that one, right? Yeah. Or... Yeah. That, that one. The oh, okay. Formula ST. Yeah. You know, if, if Cross doesn't get any music in Smash, I blame the community for that one, for everybody complaining about the music. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's true. Yeah, which is a pity, because someone who makes really good music. Mm, yes. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I had a, a bad feeling that that Cosmos rumor wasn't going to be true, but that, it's okay. It was, yeah. already, it was already up in the air, even if it was true, it because was... a lot of people were arguing, oh no, it's like clouds or whatever, and... It was so stupid. People were like circling random things, like, "Oh, yeah. look at this." Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know on. what people expected because, I mean, it was just a leak. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. One of my coworkers is like said his uh, hype for the game like completely disappeared after the direct. I was like, "What? What? But the game still looks really awesome. What do you?" You're still getting like seventy characters. Like, yeah, it's like it, it was just it was just a really weird one. But I'm still excited for the game. Yeah, same. yeah, yeah. Me too. Especially for the, like the story mode, I'm kind of interested. To... It actually looks really cool. Of course, Kirby's the only one that survived <laughs> because he's Sakurai's character. Sakurai bias. That's besides the point. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> it was bad in Brawl, but I'll well, I mean, I, another f- worth mentioning is that a lot of people are giving Sakurai a lot of crap about this. About like, oh, why don't you just make him a full character? Um, a lot of people don't realize that um, when it comes to game development, everything is planned from the very beginning. And this, right. and mm. so, first of all, Sakurai is a third party. He owns his own. He owns Sora. Um, and Monolith is a second party, so the chances of them communicating is a very low chance. Um, but Sakurai really likes Xenoblade too, so he did what he could to get whatever he could in the game, and that's what this is what we got. I feel like Rex will be DLC. Oh yeah, also um, Nia got a mean costume too, I'm not sure you guys are aware about that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I saw that. Yeah. And isn't Pyra supposed to be one of the spirits? or Pyra, Tor- I- Pyra Tora, and Zeke are spirits, yes. Uh, Zeke is genius because it's cloud. Mm. I just I love that. Uh, that works out. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Okay. Um, does anybody else can think of any other Molosoft or Zeno related news? Not that I can think of. Okay. Um. All right. Then let's uh, move on. Uh, since. Oh, and you're new to uh, the podcast. Uh, Megan, uh, you go into like your, like how you got into the Zeno series and your background into it. Yep. Um, okay, sure. So, I mean, okay. So before you start, there's two things you need to understand. The first is, uh, I was born six months before Xenoblade uh, Zeno Saga Episode One came out in Japan. I'm 17. Oh, I- <laughs> oh, man. 
I am 17 years old, so I did not grow up with the with the Gears or the Saga games at all. Um, as a matter of fact, second point is um, I wasn't really into games at all until like the last six, four, four to five years, um, and that was when oh, no. I started getting into uh, games a lot more. I think uh, my sixth grade year is when I started really getting into it with uh, Wind Waker. Um, so I first heard about Xeno in 2014. Uh, there were three major events in 2014 that happened for Xeno. Uh, the fir- I was there for the first one, and that was that uh, Monolith Project X was announced as Xenoblade Chronicles X, and that was the first time I had ever heard of the series. Okay. Um, and so I was like, the name was in my mind, and I knew of it. Um, mm-hmm. And then that summer, the uh, the new Nintendo 3DS was announced in Japan, and I remember this. I and they had Xenoblade Chronicles 3D running on that, and I remember this specifically mm-hmm. because. As I said, I was just getting into games that uh, year, and that was the year I bought myself a 3DS. And so I remember being kind of ticked off about it. Because <laughs> when you're like a when you're a lot younger, you don't have a ton of cash. So. Um, oh yeah, and you had to buy a, a 3DS just specifically for that game. Exactly. So I remember that um, moot point because now I've now I have a new 3DS, but you know, uh, I remember it. And so after that point, I started getting into more games. Uh, and I guess you could call me part of the Chugga Conroy generation, um, as in I found the first Xenoblade game through his Let's Play channel. Um, I didn't really go super deep into it until after Smash Brothers had come out, um, because my brother really wanted me to look into his origins, because that was my thing at the time. I was looking into all these characters' origins. And so I'm like, okay, sure. So I start the uh, I start Xen- uh, Chugga's uh, Let's Play, and I'm just captivated by the world and the ideas. And then that progresses, and then... In 2015 is when I actually got a copy of the game on Wii. I found it at... Uh, my family was on a road trip, and I just happened to be with a friend, and I was telling them about how great the story of Xenoblade was from what I'd seen from this Let's Play. And this person's mm-hmm. like, you should go look and see if it's nearby. It's like, okay, so I go to GameStop's website, and it's literally five minutes away from where I'm standing. <laughs> so um, so I, I definitely bought that that day. Um and I had to wait like seven days before playing it, but you know, that was cool. It wasn't ridiculous. It wasn't ridiculously expensive, was it? Uh, it was about fifty or sixty bucks. So I mean, it's not like the- oh good. Right. This is when uh the game was at its height, like eighty, ninety, even a hundred dollars. So oh. yeah. So you got it at a good price. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then twenty, and then twenty fifteen was also when Xenoblade Chronicles X came out. Um, and I had finished Xenoblade One at this point. Uh. And I knew it was going to be less uh, story-focused and more gameplay-focused, and I was actually okay with that. Um, and I remember I really had a lot of fun playing it, but I just, whenever I look back on it, I don't remember it super fondly, but I still think it's a really good game, and I really respect it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mostly just, like, the story doesn't feel like there's a lot of substance in it. It's a lot of style kind of stuff. Um, the gameplay is fantastic, and it's a lot of fun, and the music is great. I remember hyping myself up to Black Tar before the game came out. Um <laughs> Uh, man of culture. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I remember the music in that game. Yeah, it's it's fantastic music. I love it. Um, and then uh, I remember, and then the next encounter was, you know, really majorly was in 2016. Um, Chugga Conroy mentions in his Let's Play how Xenoblade is very similar to Xeno, a game called Xenogears. And I remember like, okay, so I'll look that up on Wikipedia. And like, it's this PS1 game. I'm like, eh, I don't really have that console, but you know, whatever. Uh, kind of cool. Maybe I'll look into it one day. And there's this uh, mall near my house, and I decided to go into this used game store, and they had a 
for sixty dollars a black label copy of Xenogears full in box. Oh, wow! <laughs> so I bought that. Sixty dollars is pretty good price. So I bought this is this is December twenty sixteen. So I bought that. Um, and I'm like, okay, I have it now. So my priority now is to get a PS2 so I can play it because PS2 is backwards compatibility, and then I could go on to Xenosaga mm-hmm. later. Well, a month right. well a month later, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 was announced, so that plan went on hold for a sec. <laughs> <laughs> um, and all my priority went to getting Switch at launch, so I had the console to play it on. Um, and then in September of uh, 2017, which was last year, uh, for my birthday, I got um, a PlayStation 2, so I was able to play Xenogears, finally. And I love it. Um, this entire part between January and September was a weird part for me where I was this is where um, I found the YouTube channel uh, Meeks who does a lot of Xeno lore symbolism analysis which is actually why, why I'm here because uh, he started my wanting to look into the religion and symbolism and stuff like that mm. um, and I also f- found the Xeno Saga wiki and I went way too deep into that he uh, <laughs> found the rabbit holes what he did <laughs> yeah there's a because there's, there's a bunch of Xeno gear stuff too so I looked through the entire Zenigers timeline and I was kind of just I kind of blew my mind but it also made me like really appreciate how complex you can make a story um, I still mm-hmm. actually think that in the Xenogears storyline I think Xenogears episode 1 is actually my favorite of the 5 that we know of um, which is the uh, the story about how humanity left Earth, colonized stars fell into intergalactic war, developed Deus and then uh, eventually the ship crash landed and that's where his episode one ends i find that extremely fascinating um just how they found like the zohar in 2001 and stuff like that so super cool um so i was finally to play the new gears and i knew a lot of the plot points and so when i played it through i everything actually made sense because i knew what i was looking for <laughs> um i knew a lot of the backstory but i didn't know a lot of the twists so like things like uh the events that happen when you're fighting around the zohar i did not know about that um I knew that the final boss would eventually be Deus, and that was a cool fight. Um, wasn't super aware of Krellian's involvement, and his involvement was really fascinating to me. And it just, I played Xenogears for this span of like four months, and I actually finished it the week before Xenoblade Chronicles 2 came out. Nice. So, this, um, this is, this started my, what I call my year of Xeno, which is, um, <laughs> where I just have been continuously playing some form of Xeno game. Uh, for, for about a year. So uh, I finished Xenogears the week before it came out, and uh, all of November I was kind of hyping myself up for Xenoblade Chronicles 2, and that came, game came out, and I was absolutely floored by it, partially because I'm 17 and I definitely am the target audience for that game. I understand why people don't like it, and there are definitely a lot of flaws, but I was just super intrigued with the uh, the end game and what happened with that and how it relates to the first game. And I also just really liked the... Uh, like there was, It was a much more emotional storytelling than really a lot of uh, Xeno games have really done before. At least the Xenoblade ones, at least. Um, but, uh, so yeah, I was... That's uh, Xenoblade 2 uh, is actually my favorite one. Uh, I could defend that, but I'm not here to defend that. Um, <laughs> let's see. And then, for Christmas that year, I got Xenosaga Episode 1, and I started playing that, and I remember that game... It was good. Um, it strikes... It was very quiet, and I've listened to the podcast, and you guys definitely mention how there just isn't enough music to make it super immersive. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, the only game, only Xeno game really that fully immersed me was Xenoblade 1, 
because Xenogears had like the Star Trek reference that I I'm a huge Star Trek fan, so uh, th- like they they literally mentioned like we're gonna get in trouble with Star Trek. I'm like, okay, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, breaking the fourth wall. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then Xenoblade Chronicles X just isn't the super biggest story. Xenoblade Chronicles Two has Chapter Four, which kind of took me out of it a little bit. Um, uh, and then uh, Xenosaga just didn't really captivate me until Junior appeared. Um, and Junior, the story of Junior Albedo and Negrito is very fascinating to me because I'm one of three brothers and my two younger brothers are twins. Ah. So there's a lot of things, like there's a lot of uh, us I see in that trio. Um, and it's never really fully explained which one of us corresponds to each. It's kind of a mix. So I could be Rubido one day and then Albedo another day. Um, so it just, it's really, it, but it made me really connect with those characters specifically. And actually, um, this is where for me, it's kind of ended. Um, I'm neat. Xeno Saga episode two is next for me and I'm really excited to see, uh, ju- okay. uh, junior. And I know that's much more of, uh, from junior's perspective. So really excited for that. Um, and then I also replayed Xenoblade Chronicles X over the summer last year. And then I finished it with Torna in September. And so that was my year of Xeno. <laughs> nice. Well, that's that's really impressive. You got so into the series in just like such a short amount of time. I, I, and I, pretty recently. Yeah, I'm I'm a lore nerd. I just dived in and didn't stop and didn't stop. And I know I knew I know a lot of the stuff that's in Xenosaga episode two and three. So you guys don't need to worry about spoilers for me. I know about Zarathustra and Sakura and stuff like that. But um, I'm not really concerned about spoilers. I just want to experience them. Uh, right. my for myself. I mean, these are old games, so I mean, whatever. <laughs> that's true, they're, and they're always that. That's the series I know most about. So <laughs> yeah, so you'll make up the uh, you'll make the difference for me. Yeah, and you know what? It's kind of great that you're um, on the podcast talking about your experience because I think it's really refreshing to hear a a take on the series from a younger perspective mm-hmm. because, like, everybody that knows Zenosaga, it's like, oh yeah, we're much older. We're in like our twenties, if not thirties, even older than that. So it's kind of great to see, okay, here's a much younger person in their teens. They're picking up these older games and trying to get into the series and to see what us old <laughs> folks are talking about. <laughs> so, no. so I really appreciate that you're here. And, and I like hearing this. This, like, this is something that I don't often hear. And I'm glad, and because I always ask myself, what do people think of Xenoblade? Because I feel like even though Xenoblade is obviously appealing to you know, a younger audience. It's a much more lighthearted story. It's still like the name Zeno is going to be the name that attracts an older audience. So mm-hmm. that's that's why I'm glad I got to hear this because I because I was really curious to know like how are newcomers learning about the franchise? You mentioned Chugga Conroy. I've actually known quite a few other people who said, yeah, they didn't know what Zeno was until they saw his Let's Play. Yeah. Or they saw Smash Bros. and they saw Shulk. Like, oh, who's this guy? Who, who's this weird guy? Who's I'm feeling it? And yeah. even, like, his shirt's off. Who, who is this guy? Yeah. So they kind of, like, look him up. And I, th- so, yeah, that, that's really cool to hear that. I would call myself a little also, bit before the Smash generation. I'm much more, like, I'm just slightly before that. But, yeah, I'm kind of in that era. I also like hearing, like, younger people's opinions on like the older games too mm-hmm. exactly. oh, yeah. yeah they experience they experience like you said xenoblade first and so like they go back and they look at gears and saga and it's just like well like how does this connect or like do they mm-hmm. even like it or you know yeah. sometimes it's just like yeah i really like gears um i can't give an opinion on saga because i haven't finished it but uh gears is really impressive to me it's um 
my third favorite game of the series under Xenoblade 2 and Xenoblade 1. Uh, X is my least favorite, but I mean, I've already explained my opinions on that a little bit. Um, mm. But I'm, I was immensely impressed with Gears. Uh, a lot of the stuff that's in it just really is really powerful. Um, I know mm-hmm. a lot of people give Disc 2 a lot of crap, but I actually really like it. There's a lot of really... Like, the writing turns to a little more, like, poetic kind of feel because they're dealing with a lot higher concepts. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really appreciated that. Um, my favorite qu- I actually have it written down on my phone somewhere, but my favorite quote is um, the very first thing that you hear in that disc two when they're sitting in the chair and they're talking about dreams. Um, mm-hmm. That's my favorite line in the entire game because it's the duality of both Faye and Ellie, and that was really cool to me. I just, like... There's a lot of duality in Xeno. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's... That's kind of why that's kind of why um a lot of people hate this too because what is written is really good. Yeah, yeah. And I remember when I when I played it, I, I remember just being like, I think I was, I was, I think I was actually a little bit younger than you when I played it, and I remember just like reading all these events and all these battles that are described, and I'm just thinking like. That sounds amazing. Why can't I play this right now? <laughs> I mean, like, the, like honestly, for me, the biggest travesty is that a lot of the previous episodes were not uh, created into games, and obviously that's a financial thing. Yeah. And honestly, episode yeah. five is like the climax that we, at least we know of, because they didn't write episode six. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm glad that they made that. But honestly, sometimes I just want to like open up some game maker software and kind of recreate episode one into a uh, kind of a fan game. <laughs> No, I, I understand that feeling. I, I felt the same way with like Xenosaga. I used to mess around with fan projects and stuff, and I always wanted to make so, like fan games for that. So yeah, I understand. Yeah, it's a great series. I love it all. There's not. A, I know that. Um, I've I've listened to the previous podcast, and like some people aren't really as big on Blade as maybe the other as some others. I find Blade really powerful just because it does a lot. Because um. At, when I first played Xenoblade, uh, the idea of God being the enemy wasn't was super new to me because I was outside of the era of Final Fantasy VI, Final Fantasy VII, that kind of thing. I was outside mm. this like I was just getting into JRPGs. The really the only major one that I'd played elsewhere was Earthbound, um, and that's much more traditional like entity of evil. And so this idea of like you're fighting a creationary figure. Um, I'm Catholic by the way, so that's why I'm here. But um, okay, uh, <laughs> but when I um. I always had to like reconcile a lot of things with um, within my own like belief system, and uh, it made me a stronger believer. And that's I actually attribute a lot of my stronger belief system to the Xeno series, just because it's had me face a lot of questions. Um, but it's all fantastic, and I just there's uh, Xenoblade is just it'll always have a space in my heart, just because it's really well paced. Um, probably the best paced of all the uh, Xeno games, just because budgeting wise, and Xenoblade One was probably the one where they were able to like create a full vision because they weren't as that's, ambitious, I guess. That's that's true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So like they toned down their ambition a little bit, and they were actually able to make a full product. And so now that the series is successful, we'll see where it goes from here. Yeah. yeah that's that's true. Oh, well, then well, I guess we're kind of already kind of segueing into this, so we'll just kind of get started. Yeah, because we're here today to talk about the Zeno series and its connection with religion, which it's always, it's interesting because, um, like even though, cause back in the day, Zeno gears and Zeno saga kind of wore religion on their sleeve almost with its references, oh, yeah. especially saga, especially saga. But 
Um, it, it's it's interesting to because I I'd really like to like hear like the discussion on Xenoblade because I know that it's not quite as religious heavy, but kind of. It's kind of okay. Well, I can just start. Um, uh, it's important to remember that there are three major inspirations for all the Xeno games. Um, the prevalence of each is to varying degrees, but uh, almost mm-hmm. they're almost all present. Um, the first one is Gnosticism, which is mm-hmm. an ancient religion that isn't really practiced much today, although I know that there are some like six, uh, secretive sects somewhere, but the uh, point is um, Gnosticism is like this idea of like there's a false god because the true god is like a completely spiritual entity, and the god that created the material world is evil, and how people need to spiritually ascend to surpass this uh false god or the demiurge as it's called um uh the and that's a major it's that's in every game like without a doubt um in xenos and uh in a let's see the second inspiration is uh kabbalah judaism um this is to a lesser degree but it's where a lot of the xeno early xeno games specifically get a lot of their old testament stuff from uh the zohar is um a book actually it's the uh, foundational work of kabbalah judaism um, and the Zohar is obviously the monolith item in Xeno Gears Saga and Blade Two. So, um, well, it's called the Conduit there, but whatever. Uh, but the point is, it's there's a lot of references to Kabbalah Judaism. Um, Kadamini is a reference to uh, Adam Kadman, which is like the first uh, entity. I'm if I'm understanding that correctly, um, uh, and that's a whole thing on uh, Kabbalah's Kabbalah's uh, Kabbalistic beliefs. Uh, this is probably the the part that I know the least about, um, but yeah, same. It's it's interesting um, stuff. And then uh, the ODM mentions Buddhism as well. I don't know if you knew that, but there is a. I I guess yeah, I could definitely could see a lot of there's a like there's a very kind of Zen philosophy to uh, um, you know, and that like the idea of ye shall be as gods is like um, I interpret that personally as what happens when humanity gets too close to the divine, um, and like a sort of like an Icarus story. Or exactly, like yeah. Um, okay, yeah, I get you. There's a lot of that where it's like they created a robot god and then it betrayed them and then they tried to ascend to the upper domain with Zarathustra and it failed. And then there was the one where it's like he's trying to create a new universe and he becomes a god in himself in which he's like hated by all his uh, creation. So uh, there's a lot of that there. And the, like Zingley Chronicles 2 emphasizes that on like the regret that you can have for flying too close to the sun, which I find super interesting, because Xenoblade 2 there, yeah. is like... Saga has a lot of that too. Um, yeah. People getting too close mm-hmm. to uh, god or divine power. Yeah, I know. Uriev. Yeah, I know Uriev. Yeah, Uriev is like the big yeah. one. Yeah, I know Uriev goes there a little bit. I haven't seen too much of him, but I know he takes Negrito's body. Um, uh, let's see. And then the third major thing is pretty general Christianity, but also spe- specifically Catholicism. I just uh, just specifically because they reference a lot of Catholicism, especially in Xenosaga, there's the uh, um, Ormus is a is literally Catholicism blended <laughs> with. They literally like right. Yeah, it's literally fight the Pope yeah, in that game. Yeah, it's uh, it's Catholicism mixed with some Gnostic beliefs, which is almost counterintuitive, but Xenosaga makes it work. And then like they have like scriptures on the wall and stuff like that, and the idea that Jesus Christ and Mary Magdalene and stuff like that. So yeah, it's interesting stuff. Um, so you said you want. So yeah, so that's the foundation um, that we should go into. Uh, you said you wanted to know what was in Blade. 
Um, yeah, I mean, if you guys wanted to, I don't know if you guys wanted to start all the way back at Sinnoh Gears or work our way up or start at Cinnoblade or work our way down, whichever would be easier, I guess. I can, I can do either, honestly. Whatever you guys feel like. Uh, oh. Yeah, well, I mean, it might it's be more interesting pretty, to talk I feel about like this late. is going to be pretty long, honestly. Yeah. Um, each, each game is like, has like a wealth of things right. to draw from. So, um, I mean, I guess we can start at Xenogears. I know kind of about Xenogears, but like, mm. not really as much as Saga. Saga is the one that I've really like studied, like okay. very heavily. So um, yeah, let's start with Gears. Sure. Okay. Um. So Gears is uh okay. So just going th- like uh Gears obviously um the main antagonist of Gears is Deus, otherwise known as the Yahweh Interplanetary Invasion Machine or, or system. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, like, this god figure that they worship. Um, and, of course, there's also, like, the ethos and the Nissan sects, where uh, mm-hmm. the these different sects of religion, where they have different beliefs. Um, Billy, actually, is one of my favorite characters in Gears, just because I find his story extremely fascinating. Um, I mean, Gears is, as a whole is, like, it's not... Um, so, it's Gears, obviously, is heavily influenced by Gnosticism, um, because mm-hmm. the... Uh, the wave's ex- existence is a parallel to the uh, monad in this Gnosticism, which is like this uh, original kind of thing that where everything originates from, basically. Um, and then from there comes uh, all the aeons, um, which are like his kind of offspring that are less divine, but are still definitely divine. And then there's mm-hmm. one of these aeons is known as Sophia, uh, mm-hmm. which, um, and she tried to, uh, she kind of wanted to become a singularity, I guess, where she kind of wanted to become a monad in herself, and because of that, she kind of fell from grace, and she accidentally births the Demiurge, the creation god. Um, and the creation god's kind of, like, secluded from everything else, and it creates the material world, and it creates humans to serve it, and um, Sophia is, like, this uh, character who gives wisdom, because Sophia literally means wisdom, uh, gives wisdom to humanity, um, and uh, her agents are... Uh, I believe Lucifer uh, or Sentinel in Gnosticism. And then there's also uh, Jesus Christ, who is a character shown to uh, kind of portray like wisdom bringing and like how to um, come to a fuller life. And like the greatest, uh, the, the main goal of Gnosticism is to become a more spiritual person and to uh, kind of uh-huh. surpass uh, God or the Demiurge. Um, and the Demiurge is, it has been interpreted um, in many different names. Uh, one of them is Yaldabaoth, which is basically means uh, one who wishes to become a god, and then Yahweh, who is the god of the uh, Judeo-Christianity faiths and Muslim. So. I think Yaldabaoth is a boss in Xenosaga 1. Uh, he's also in Xenoblade 1. Yeah. I think he's in. I think he's in Xeno. I think they mention it somewhere in Xenosaga One. I'm. It sounds familiar. I can't remember where. I think yeah, it's. A, we, I think yeah. it's a boss, like a mech or a, a gnosis or something, because a lot of the gnosis have uh, names originating in like that sort of like mythology. So I think there's literally a gnosis called Sophia. I believe. Uh, I have um, no idea. I need. To I can't remember. <laughs> what was the final boss of Xenosaga Episode One called again? Uh, episode One. Was Sophie Platos? Yeah. Pathos. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how, how to say it. <laughs> yeah, uh, 
I believe that is um, partially, at least partially a reference. Yeah, Sophie Pythos. I believe that's partially a reference to a. Uh, no, okay, so I'm reading. I just pulled the Xenosaga uh, The etymology. Yeah, I'm looking at it too. Yep. Yeah, it's a, uh, mistranslation, it's a mistranslation of Pistis Sophia. Um, Pistis Sophia is an important Gnostic text revealing the complex structures and hierarchies of heaven familiar Gnostic teachings. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's interesting to, to give a name of kind of a kind of a not like not super important final boss. But... Yes, not, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and it's kind uh, of interesting that last line on the wiki it also says it translates to the faith of Sophia. Yeah, um, because the law Gnostics take Sophia as like their kind of patron, I guess, where they reject the demiurge and wish to become <laughs> closer to the monad and what? stuff like that. So. Bless you. Um, something also worth no- mentioning is that um, it is a gnosis, and gnosis translated literally means knowledge of the spirit or just spirit. Um, yeah. And so that makes sense for Gnosticism, which is like a more spiritual religion. And then there's also agnosticism, which is someone who hasn't really been, uh, who someone like who's on the fence about the existence of God. So it's like between deism and atheist. Um, mm-hmm. Agnosticism basically means like kind of unsure of spirit i guess kind of yeah so um yeah so yeah so but like going back to gears there's a lot of stuff in there about uh um xeno gears is mostly like a parallel about uh well like a parable kind of of like warning against almost rigorous belief to faith uh or like structured religion it's not really against faith specifically um mm-hmm. billy is like very much a uh icon of someone who is uh like he he's challenged by his faith and he loses complete faith in the ethos because it's like this conspiracy created by solaris but um like his dad at the last minute is like faith is not a bad thing and i i really related to that because there are problems in the all structured religion there it just that's how it is humans are flawed but faith itself is not a bad thing and uh there's a lot of philosophy on this but the just uh but um i'm of the mind that faith is a beautiful thing so yeah i thought that was um that story arc was interesting because it definitely highlighted how humanity can definitely ruin and abuse faith but at the same time faith isn't completely pointless or use or or useless it's not inherently Um, bad yeah it's just and that's a conversation that bleeds to a lot of other things, even today. We always have those kind of conversations of people being like, oh, screw religion, because they did this, or they're intolerant to this. It's like, well, you know what, you can't really blame necessarily the faith itself, but that also it goes into how people interpret it, too. Yeah, for sure. Um, there is actually many different ways to interpret religion. Um, when it yeah. comes to Christendom, there's two major ways. There's, uh, like, I'm a Catholic, so we're uh, contextual, which means that we read the Bible and then we interpret its meaning. Um, uh-huh. And then there's also fundamentalists, which everything that is stated is written. So if you ever read the book of Revelation, uh, it's a book heavily laden in symbolism. Fundam- fundamentalists will believe that everything that happens in Revelation will happen as fact. So, like, there's, like, a, a beast will emerge from, like, this sea, and Satan will, like, bring, like, this thousand-year war against humanity and it's crazy um but there's different symbolic ways to interpret it and there's actually points i'll bring up when it comes to xenosaga um actually this reminds me um in xeno gears there's a uh, really cool parallel to um what catholics call uh 
the sin stories of Genesis. Mm-hmm. Um, the sin stories are these five stories uh, in Genesis, obviously, that uh, tell like humanity's fall from kind of a like a per- more perfect state to the flawed state. So the first one is uh, there, a bunch of these are very famous, and some of these aren't famous. So the first one is obviously Garden of Eden, a uh, story about like the original sin, and Xenogears tells that through its uh, literal kind of Genesis tales of like Merkaba and falling from grace and like the battle against God, and that it's literally told in a legend form. Um, and I, I think that Xenogears is like the most Genesis story oh, out of all the Xeno games well, I mean, by far. It also t- like I mean it's. <laughs> Uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion references. Uh, I mean, that's kind of the point of that show, too. <laughs> but, yeah. Like... Um, yeah, it's so, like... Yeah. It's like the beginning of, like... It's like a new beginning, like the end of that game. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so the, there's, like, that's the Genesis story. The second one that comes up is the story of Cain and Abel. Um, and that literally happens in Gears with yeah. uh, the Emperor Cain and then the, uh, the only human who survived the Eldritch Crash, Abel. Um, and Cain literally kills Abel, and then this causes Abel to be, uh, no, no, sorry, yeah, Cain kills Abel, and this causes Cain to be kind of, like, in a distraught form, and he's kind of, this is, he kind of has his, like, consciousness problem, and he, like, kind of ostracizes himself from the rest of the world, and he's very sentimental to the, uh, characters compelled, like, the gazelle ministry, which is, like, super, like, focused on what their goal is. Um, and Cain is like this, and Cain in the Bible is like kind of cursed by God, so he's not he's not to be like laid a hand on by creation, but he's just like the wanderer forever. Um, after that, uh, I can't remember. It's either Genesis chapter five or Noah, but I'll just do Noah. Um, the the Noah's Ark story is obviously like where God floods the world and uh-huh. you know, takes uh, creatures and hides them in ark. This isn't explicitly this is actually the hardest parallel to draw from um but uh xenogears has like project noah which is its code name and also the uh, name of krellian trying to resurrect god um there's also references many times to like the arcs like where uh merkaba i no, is merkaba i can't remember what it's called but the uh the thing where that holds deus is like seen as like this arc right um and that's mm-hmm. kind of like from like Deus is where all life originates from, so you could kind of see that, I guess. And also just because the Eldritch was um, crash lands, and this is where humanity emerges from, and they repopulate the Earth. Um, so you could make some parallels to that. Um, the one I want to talk about right now is specifically, which is I find the most interesting, is uh, Genesis chapter five. Uh, uh-huh. That is Genesis chapter five is actually a genealogy. It explains the history of people and like whose uh whose kids had uh whose parents had which kids blah 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 blah. oh yeah the bagats yeah bagat yeah um uh but what's interesting oh yeah so genesis chapter 5 actually comes before noah's ark so but whatever but what's interesting is that one of the most major uh part parts of chapter 5 is explaining how uh humanity's lifespans decrease um and this is um this is uh, genesis is one of the oldest bu- books in the bible and uh, the idea of the afterlife wasn't super developed, and so the uh, original Hebrews believe like so. The longer that you live, the more holy you are, right? So uh, like people like Adam and Eve. Well, Adam lived like for nine hundred years, and like goes down and down and down and down. Seven hundred, six hundred, blah blah blah, one hundred eighty. Um, this is directly shown in Xenogears in the Zeboam era, where humanity only gets a lifespan of thirty years. And then they're wiped. Yeah. Then they're wiped out by Miang because they're not seen as uh, cr- uh, 
compatible parts for Deus, and he, she kind of restarts humanity. I find that super cool. <laughs> hmm. Um, and it, it's because it's like it's shown literally through a genetic deficiency, but um, you could also interpret it that way. And then the, the last one is the Tower of Babel, and there's literally Babel Tower in a uh, Gears, and which uh, uh the Tower of, ba- Tower of Babel is um is a story about like how humanity tries to build a, a tower to kind of reach the realm of God and God creates language mm-hmm. to uh, cause confusion amongst all the races of humanity. And uh, it kind of like crumbles under its own weight. And it's, it's also kind of an Icarus story. And so since it's a piece of the Eldridge and it, you like, you see like the kind of the hubris of mankind that it's also kind of appropriate, maybe I'm making stretches here, but this is just what I've drawn from it. No, that's, no, that's really interesting because yeah, it definitely does have a uh, sense of like the, like the Icarus story of trying to reach too high. Yeah, yeah, and that's like the Zohar in general too. Yeah, and like the oh, the, sure. like the entire theme of the series is you shall be as gods because that's seen in like the beginning of Gears. That's the password again to Cosmos and Saga. It's mm-hmm. um, and then in in X, it's almost certain that's what Alma's password is when she awakens you from the lifehold. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this it's very much a very prevalent theme that Takahashi is trying to invoke and I interpret it as because uh, humanity has never really in, in the Xeno series we've never really killed an actual god it's always been artificial ones or whatever so like Deus is a robot uh, the final enemy of Saga 3 really is mostly Zarathustra um, or at least that's why I understand <laughs> um, yeah uh, yeah Zarathustra, and then Zarathustra yeah, is um, like this machine that uh, long ago people created to try and ascend to God, um, and it didn't work. They tried to ascend to the upper domain, and it didn't work at all. Um, and then Blade, uh, a man became God, and uh, that was rejected. And then Shulk rejects him being a God as well. And then X is kind of um, X. It's kind of like a reverse in which humanity is like placed in a higher role than the Ganglion, and the Ganglion tries to ascend, and they fall. Um, and then two is the aftermath of the ex- the the phase transition experiment, where Klaus is like mourning his decision and how how wrong he was, and that's probably the most telling example of it. There's a lot of hubris and Icar- like the Icarus story, so. Hmm. Now, uh, going back a little bit, when you were mentioning like Sophia, um. Because that was, of course, one of Ellie's right. past lives was Sophia. Um, I was interesting because you said that uh, was it Lucifer was one of her creations or some or what was Lucifer that? Sorry. In, Gnosti- in Gnosticism? Uh, Lucifer uh-huh. is uh, yeah. seen as well, it's weird because it's actually portrayed. Lucifer is a uh, heroic figure in Gnosticism because uh, he's the opposition to the false god. Lucifer is um, in Gnosti- in the Gnostic creation myth and stuff like that. Uh, he's also known as Satanile, um, which is like a kind of, uh, like, like comes from the word Satan, but it's with an E-L at the end, which, uh, by the way, E-L means, uh, is a suffix that means God. Um, uh, so like, that's why all the angels are called like Michael, Raphael, Gabriel, because they all have the L suffix. Um, uh, but, um, the, uh, yeah, so, um, in this, in the so Lucifer is kind of how he is in Christendom, where he's like this fallen angel who opposed God. But what's different in Gnosticism is uh, 
he realized the falseness of the demiurge and wanted to try and oppose him and he fell from that but uh sophia kind of helped uh guided lucifer into uh giving knowledge to humanity um and that's when they left the garden of eden because they were kind of like gnosticism portrays the garden of eden as like a kind of like false paradise because it's like the cre- it's creation and uh Satanile is like a kind of more heroic figure because they're obviously opposing um uh the demiurge but um there's also a lot of stuff to do with jesus christ where he is also part uh like there to nurture their spirits so they can ascend and i believe in some even in some traditions that mary magdalene is a incarnation of sophia so there is your uh xenosaga there um <laughs> uh i highly recommend checking out meeks's youtube channel by the way um there's a lot of content there about symbolism that you may just find super interesting okay um, yeah, yeah send me a link because I actually would like to watch some of those. Yeah, they're super cool. Um, I got into them a couple years ago. Uh, the first one that I watched was of Monados and Monad, and that's why I got into this whole thing. Um, and just kind of expanded from there. Um, as for Sof- uh, Sophia's place in Xeno Gears, um, that's um, she's plays a definitely like a kind of giving. She like she's playing like a loving role and like one who's trying to uh, mm. help uh, humanity kind of overcome like Solaris, but also just like kind of become as true as they can be i guess like she's 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 seen more of like a like a carer i guess like she's taking care of people Mm -hmm. yeah um like a motherly figure yeah i mean she's there's a lot of motherliness in the xeno series too yeah for Mm -hmm. sure there's a lot yeah like um there's like a lot of very uh yeah there's a lot of very like um yeah a lot of motherliness in there as well yeah for sure um like yeah and i oh go on no go for it well, because that was what I thought was kind of interesting, because I was thinking that it would, in that case, be that, like, I I don't know if this is right or not, because I'm, I'm not really religious at all, so I I might be grasping at straws okay. here. Okay. Um, but, like, with Lacan and uh, Slash Graf, do you think that he might have been, like, an interpretation of Lucifer then? No. Um, well... No, not not really. So, um, there. Are, <laughs> well, first of all, the Xena series doesn't really play too much with the idea of Lucifer. The closest that we have is Wilhelm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's the closest. He, oh yeah. Um, but uh, Lacan is actually a direct reference to a uh, Jacques Lacan, which is um a psycho a psychoanal- um, analyst, um along mm-hmm. the lines of uh Carl Jung, uh, who uh term like per- the terms like persona and shadow and anima animus. Um, mm. so that's where, uh, so I can't remember exactly what Lacan says. He's the one of the, basically, um, Xenogears is, has the most variety of inspirations. You have Friedrich Nietzsche as like a philosopher. You have all three right. variations of the religion. You have Carl Jung, Karen Horney, Jacques Lacan, um, and, uh, uh, Sigmund Freud as psychoanalysts to take inspiration mm. from, um, and those are all seen. Uh, there's another uh, guy I recommend checking out, um, the Dark Pixel. They're changing their name to Resident Arc soon, but uh, they have a really good Xenogears retrospective where they show like how uh, they integrated like Karen Horney into the story, and that her uh, ideas about neurosis were like um, human. Uh, it's uh, children what they perceive their parents to be, rather than mm-hmm. rather than what they actually are, and that's where Faye and his mother Karen comes from. Um, it's it's super cool stuff. Uh, there's almost every miniature plot point has some relation to uh one of these major uh 
inspirations and it's just super cool stuff. Okay. Yeah, I because I was just thinking with with how Lacan becomes Graf, I was thinking about how that was like after Sophia dies, that kind of spawned Graf in a way. So that was why I was kind of making that stretch. But yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, I'm looking up. I'm looking up Jacques Lacan right now. Um, <laughs> he's it's he, uh, he's it's just real interesting stuff. Hmm. Uh, let's see. Most controversial psychoanalyst since Freud. <laughs> All right, let's, let's see his works. Um, he uses the term other. Let's see. You guys can talk if you want. I'm looking into this. Oh. Uh, is there anything you'd like to add to this, David? Because I, I know uh, you're like... I'm, I'm just thinking about all this right now because, um, like, like, as a whole, like, the Xeno series has kind of, like, handled... Um, like, like I said before, the Xenogears is kind of like a like a Genesis story, mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, like there are there's some world uh dooming stuff in it, but there's not like anything like the degree that Xenosaga has. Um, but um, the whole rebirth thing is kind of like a big thing with Blade too. Um, yeah blade has uh kind of like new beginning stuff with it more than saga does saga is like purely like the end times which is kind of interesting that because i i always i just see saga as like a foil to gears like there's stuff that's present in gears that that happens and saga just kind of does like just exactly the opposite like Mm. um like for example, the male versus female character, the uh, beginning instead of the end, the um, uh, the ripples versus the shattering, the shards and stuff like that. There's like all this um, stuff that they they just basically flip on, you know. And um, uh, yeah, it's really interesting to think about um, some of the um, more gnostic stuff. Because I'm not really familiar with it at all. Def- I kind of grew up. I kind of grew up in like almost basically fundamentalist Christianity stuff, kind of. So, like, I know mostly about like the Gospels and stuff like that, and like I've obviously I've read the I've read the Old Testament and stuff. So it's pretty interesting to hear like the sin stories and stuff again. Um. Uh. I think. Uh. Yeah, I just I'm I'm waiting for Saga really because I know I know more about it. Than, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Well, um, I probably should. <laughs> um, I this is more of a, like a psychological philosophy type thing. Um, I just looked up Lacan. Um, he dealt with mm-hmm. the idea of the other, and so he defines the little other is the other uh, who is not really other, but as a reflection and projection of the ego. Um, and he uh adds that uh that this reason the symbol uh well this is from wikipedia and then it's like the big other de- uh, designates ra- uh, radical al- alterity um and otherness which transcends the illusionary otherness of the imaginary because it cannot be assimilated through identification um lacan equates this radical alterity with language and the law and hence the the big other is inscribed in the order of the symbolic indeed the big other is the symbolic insofar as it is particularized for each subject the other is thus both another subject in his radical alterity and unassimilated 
unassimilable uniqueness and also the symbolic order which meditates the relationship between that and the other subject so basically uh lacan kind of separates graph from himself and that like that's his other oh okay okay that makes more sense at least that's how okay. I'm in, at least that's how i'm interpreting it i may have to do more research on this young young uh carl young is my specialty uh lacan is definitely not so <laughs> no that's that's fine and i yeah and i know some uh nietzsche but um that's because i i uh i was kind of a, a weird kid i were read uh thus spoke zarathustra yeah the, after playing Zeno yeah. Saga episode three <laughs> well uh, all of Zenosaga's uh titles are named after Freud, uh, <laughs> yeah, Nietzsche's correct, correct. so yeah i like i need to i need to read into it just because he has such interesting ideas like obviously like he does um well zarathustra is actually a character in zoro uh, is actually like the founder <laughs> of zoroastrianism um yeah which mm-hmm. is Persian, right. which I know about because yeah, he's a Persian I studied for, Persian for two years. Yeah, I don't. I did like light reading on that the other day, but uh, you can go into that deeper. Um, yeah, it's kind of fire based, but it doesn't. It Zarathustra was really just a name, mm. uh, like insofar as I can tell. Really, um, it's not. It doesn't really have like that much to do with, um, like in Persia they have uh, ziggurats. That I mean, that's where the ziggurats come from. Is um oh yeah, uh for uh Ziggy yeah Ziggy's name yeah Ziggurat uh, eight that's Zoroastrianism. But like uh I I know it's a fire based religion, but I don't like there wasn't really anything that I could tell that was like super like I guess in relation to it. It's, it was just a it was just a name kind of like yeah yeah Nietzsche yeah. Deus was his thing yeah so like yeah Deus is mostly like it's like he's definitely um in gears he's definitely like a major like superpower like even in, uh in the embryonic stage uh, uh before mm-hmm. Xenogears happened he could destroy entire planets um mm-hmm. uh Deus is very much I feel like so obviously um it's a, like it's partially like a censored thing because uh the translator didn't want him to be called. <laughs> Yahweh, in uh, right. So he, I remember reading on that. So he begged the uh, trans. He begged people to let them name it uh, uh, Deus, and they said sure. Um, but um, <laughs> and they actually had a tra- like the Yahweh interplanetary invasion system is called Yabe because they just couldn't put it in. So that's a censorship for those if you're playing that uh, gears. Um, oh, I actually I wish I knew what Raziel was, but I. F- I feel like I should know that, but I don't. But there's, I'm sure there's interesting stuff with that. Um, uh, the the trinity between like the Zohar, uh, the Kadamani, and the uh, uh, and Deus is very interesting. I find it's not really any particular symbolism that I know of, but it's just um, like where God comes from Zohar, and the fact that he even called that monolith the Zohar is fascinating. Even because it was originally in the gears, it was originally called the magnetic anomaly um, machine because it had weird magnetic fields and they were able to in the future they were able to manipulate that into ether so let's see is there well let's see is there anything else we can think of uh for xenogears uh um not particularly try to think I mean, I guess uh, there is worth mentioning, like, Nissan, about how, like, different it is from yeah. everything 
I, I honestly, like, I relate with Nissan a lot just because it's never explicitly said to be believed. Uh, also, we should mention Krellian. Um, no. Uh, Nissan is, is like, it, it's never really, because while on the ethos side, it's much more, you can feel like it's meant to be, like, worshipping, like, the deus kind of god character. It feels like uh, when it comes to the uh, Nissan, it feels like they're they're kind of, like, worshipping a more, like, metaphysical god like how it is in the real world and they've never like the nissan sect has never like debunked or anything like that showing that that's like more of like a a truer version of the religion Mm -hmm. and yeah i kind of got that too yeah because it was just like yeah deus versus you know act an actual like force you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and there like there is some beautiful symbolism in like the uh the angels that uh um like need to uh join together to fly i I that's very powerful imagery. Just um Oh yeah, the one winged angels. Yeah. That yeah that was. Yeah, um I'm sure there's a ton of I can mention about Kabbalah's uh Kabbalistic tradition, but I'd probably mess it all up, so I <sighs> I have a bunch of information that I've recently accumulated and I haven't quite organized it in my brain yet. <laughs> stuff like <laughs> stuff like Tree of Life, where uh, like the paths of Sephiroth, uh and all kinds of stuff, so yeah. Razael's tree. Razael's. Yeah. I mean, really I guess. We figured all that out yet. Razael's tree could possibly be a reference to the tree of life, um, which is a. So, actually, I'm kind of looking at that right now, Razael. I'm on the great source of knowledge known as the Xenosaga Wiki. <laughs> Xenosaga <laughs> Wiki is literally well, the best website <laughs> in the world. I know. It does so much stuff on here. So, uh, etymology of that is that Razael is actually a misspelling of Raziel. Which is an archangel within the teachings of Jewish mysticism, who is known as the keeper of secrets and the angel of mysteries. Mm. Uh, Razael's tree was based on the tree of the knowledge that stories of the Genesis in the Hebrew Bible. Mm. Okay. So it is, yeah. So that's just something I read that word for word on here. Well, there, um, yeah. So just little. There's another. There's another instance of the word <laughs> L in there, if you want. Um. It's it's yeah. it's very prevalent. I think like the only like major angel in any major religion that doesn't have that is Metatron, um, who is a uh, I know because Shin Megami Tensei, uh, Metatron. Yeah, right, me right. too. Yeah, Metatron is uh, awesome. Metatron is um uh like the messenger of God in uh some uh some Kabbalistic traditions, um and it's some it's uh some traditions even go so, so far as to say that it is uh Enoch who is like the great grandfather of Noah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's just random trivia. <laughs> and isn't isn't that isn't that Metatron also a boss in Xenogears? Uh, yes, he's one of the four. Uh, yes, yeah, he's one orbs. of the the, the four. Yeah. He's one of the four pillars. Yeah, four pillars. Right. right. Okay, I, I knew I remembered that. Right. Yeah, there's yeah. there's symbolism in each of them. I'll, I'll let me bring up the uh, also the Seraph angels that uh guard um the the oh yeah so um right. that, that com- See, the seraph angels were a little bit hard like to grasp because that was one of the parts that i think was just written yeah um in gears and uh not really shown that much it's their um meeks uh meeks on youtube uh equates it to closer to like a antibody system like we're like oh, yeah it, like yeah, repelling like- um the seraph angels themselves when you're talking about christianity is um mm-hmm. it's the highest level of angel there um the angels actually have levels there's uh like an- uh seraphim cherubim throne dominion uh i think after that it's virtue then power then principality then archangel then angel i think i'm mixing some of those up but uh um 
basically seraphims are the most powerful, most like the the head, like the top of the angel genus, I guess you could say. Um, mm. And some uh, some Christian traditions even say uh, that uh, Lucifer, before he fell, was a seraphim. If you wish to know that, um, yeah, That's it's interesting. it's interesting. Uh, let me bring up the. Uh, I'm looking through the uh, the pillars: uh, Sindelphon, Marut, and uh, Harlut. Harlut is referenced. Harlut, an angel in Islam. Uh, yeah, they're all Ooh. references to angels in Islam. They aren't really uh, seen in too much in Christianity, but uh, so like, yeah. Um, yeah, and what, so you have actually and, um, read the Quran. It doesn't like doesn't mention the names of too many angels um, right off. Um, it mentions Malak, which is um, the angel who's the guardian of hell. Yeah. Um, uh, but like, it's. Like they like, there's a lot that there's a lot of stuff that Islam believes in uh, that it's not really in the Quran. I guess they kind of just pass it down. Um, um, well, this is this is um, this is a common misconception. I feel like this is. I mean, there are some Christian traditions that do this, but it's uh, a lot of re- a lot of people who view religion thinks that they completely adhere to the uh, whatever religious text. So, like in Catholicism's yeah. case, it's the Bible. That's partially true. There's also what's called tradition. Um, in Catholicism, we spell that with a capital T. Tradition is basically this. Um, it's why the uh, it's why the Catholic Church exists because it's meant to pass down this tradition. Um, it's this idea that um, there's a bunch of other teachings other than what's in the Bible that's been passed down through tradition and what the apostles and disciples over the years have uh, done and like what they've interpreted. Um, there's actually an entire book on tradition, which is the second most important book in Catholicism called the Catechism, where it's basically a lot of uh, kind of like guidelines and rules for uh, how to interpret things and such. Um, really kind of cool stuff. Um, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, they uh, Islam also believes in this these things called jinn. Mm. which uh i've read about it's like it's like a force that's not really an angel it's um but that's it's where magic oh. comes from. oh right yeah i know about the jinns yeah yeah the jinn and uh so reading, yeah reading reading that uh was really interesting to me because you know i'd only i'd only like been i've been like christian for like most of my whole life but i was just you know reading it out of curiosity sure yeah and like I just it was it was a different concept to me because like like none of the texts that I had ever read like included those beings, you know, the jinn or whatever. But. Yeah. There's a lot of like metaphysical stuff that we just don't hear about in uh the written Bible or stuff like that just cuz it doesn't really matter. Um because like the foundational work of like the foundational belief in Catholicism is obviously like the existence of Jesus Christ. Um, in Catholicism specifically, the idea of like uh, the Eucharist is literally his body and bre- uh, blood in substance, kind of like we ingest that. Um, and that's actually something that a lot of Christian faiths don't believe in. That's what uh, one of the main things that separates from Catholicism. Also, just like apostolic succession, so how it's passed down through um, the generations. And yeah, so there's just a lot of stuff that you just don't see because we've had to interpret it. And it's just yeah, really, cool, so. really cool stuff. And then... Krellian, do we want to mention like uh, he's like classic Icarus character, right? Yeah. And he's like I I know I was listening to the podcast a couple weeks ago. You I think he's in Childhood's End or something. Yeah, yeah Chris, Chris uh, did brought that up. He's one of the uh, overlords, which is what the aliens call themselves. Mm. Um, 
but they all look like uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, and stuff, so. yeah. I've been trying to read a lot more science fiction this summer, and uh, I read 2001, and I read uh, Ray Bradbury's uh, Martian Chronicles. But uh, I've had childhood. I've checked out Childhood Zen from the library like twice, but I haven't opened it yet. So, been <laughs> <laughs> meaning to read that for a long time. I'll get. Yeah. I'll get to it. I, soon. I, I have, yeah, it's I haven't read it short. either. It's pretty short. Um, it's not that long. I think. I think the thing to really draw from it is like from uh from for for Zeno is the idea that like um like we kind of like you, we can't force people to do things exactly that we don't want them to do that's free the, the, uh, free will yeah free will it's basically that it's you know it, it, that's the biggest thing to get from it because um, it's just stuff happens in that book and it's just like out of out of the character's control. Yeah. And like that's something that, you know, is like kind of in like Saga 2. It's just, yeah. Yeah. All right. I think that mostly sums up my thoughts about Gears. I just think it's a really cool um, uh, thing. Uh, I think the areas are super cool. I like Shavat a lot, even though um, it has a more whimsical tone. I really like when you first get there, how it's like peaceful and <clears throat> tranquil it is. Um, like a lot of stuff about, um, becoming like more in tune with like what God truly wants. And like, there's a, uh, like Xenogears, stuff like that. Um, just Xenogears in general just uses a lot of harsh language. Like the, uh, like the fact that all the, uh, the, the engines and all the gears are called slave generators because they're drawing from the Zohar. I just, like, there's a lot of, it's really heavy, harsh stuff, but it's, I mean, that's why it exists. It's really dark storytelling. It's good, though. Really good. Yes. Yeah. All right. Okay, uh, then, all right, then, uh, I guess it's time now to, let's move on to Zenosaga. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll be able to offer a couple things, but, uh, I'm mostly leaving this up to, uh, David here. Uh, so, yeah, Xenosaga is, like, the thing... Like, first of all, um, I kind of got into it through Yuki Kajra's music, but the thing that really, really cemented me being a fan of this series was the religious part of it, because I could relate to it immediately. Um, and so, I was, it was really interesting, um, that, you know, the Zohar, this game is the, Xenosaga Episode 1 is the first Xeno game where the Zohar takes the, uh, Kind of like the, the shape of the cross. Yeah, and also like and, the emu- uh, the emulators have Hebrew uh, letters there. Yeah, so um, like it's like a it's like a it's like a really big symbol in that game, and uh, basically every Xeno game since then. I mean, and, it kind of, it, like the, the the cross aesthetic had been in there since Xeno Gears with like all there's like. Uh, there's two crucifix. There's the, there's, there's, t- there's the pendant, but um, well, there's also two crucifix scenes. Um, one where they literally crucify all the gears, and then the second yeah, one they crucify then, Ellie. Yeah, but it's like it's sort of like used as a symbol more. Yeah, it's like like it's like a it's like a symbol of power. It's also just a symbol of Catholicism. Yeah, it, like so but the. They, but they use it. They use it kind of like as a symbol of power because that's Zohar n- is like that's uh, n- 
You, what you, is it? It's not. That's not incorrect. Um, Catholicism, at least in most Christianity, I assume, uh, the cross is well because this is how Roman the Roman Empire would. Uh, kill a lot of their victims. They'd crucify them, right? Um, the, yeah. But the cross um, is a reference to uh, is like as a symbol of power that makes sense. It's a symbol of uh, the fact that we have been freed from sin, and it's our triumph over death because there will be like a uh, like this idea of like the second coming where there'll be a last judgment, and uh, we will be freed from death and return to our bodies and kind of live in heaven. This kind of idea. Um, but basically, yeah. it's it's the cross is a symbol of Jesus's triumph over death. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, you know, what it is, you know, for a lot of people, but in the game, it's really kind of like, it's like a symbol of power, and, like, they kind of, like, use it, um, everyone's trying to get it, uh, in Xenosaga, like, yeah, all of these factions are trying to, like, get it, and it's something that's, like, it's something that's so powerful that if you touch it, you just disappear. Mm-hmm. Um, Even the emulators, and, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was just incredible like to read about because I just grew up with, you know, in Christianity. But You could also take it as like a kind of like sign of temptation for like this like godly power that humanity could possess. And so... Um, like there's see, a... and it and it does tempt some people. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. Dmitry Yuryev is like the biggest one, but um, uh, Ormus is also after it. So the and the the Pope in the second game kind of gets tempted by it, mm. and he tries to use it for his own devices, but fails. Interesting. And um, uh. Wilhelm is, like you said, like the closest thing to Lucifer in the Xenosaga yeah, series. He's more of a ref- um, like his um like what's his gear? What's it? No, no, what, not, it's not like they're not called gears; they're called ESs, right? What's his ES called? Um, Einsoff. Einsoff. Yeah, I yeah. think yeah. There's like references to like the Antichrist somewhere in there. Uh, that's that's Junior. Junior's like the symbol for it, kind of because he's the Red Dragon. Yeah, the... he's called the Red Dragon, and he's also got the. 666 thing. Uh yeah, actually on. I was hoping you, someone would bring that up. Um so uh first of all the uh the siblings uh Rubido, Nigarito, uh Cyrene and Albedo are all named after alchemical ideas of how you create like the perfect entity or the philosopher's stone. And these these are like yeah. different purification processes. Um very spiritual. Um like Nigrito is like the the, the one bring it to like to death and then like white is the whitening and then the red is like the ultimate and then the 666 um i actually this is uh it's clear that talk uh takashi is using this as like since they're the urtvs they like they're anti against udu right um yeah so yeah, right. like so when i yeah when i interpreted it like i kind of like there's a lot of like symbolism in saga but if you like interpret it kind of literally it's kind of fun yeah but um there is something worth mentioning in the Bible, uh, at least according how again I'm doing this all from a Catholic perspective. Uh, in the Revelations, uh, it's important uh, when Revelations was written. It was indeed a book of prophecy about like how uh, Jesus would like win in the end and everything. But a lot of like the like a lot of the symbolism, like six six six, is the imperfect number. Um, that was also seen. It also could be seen as a 
number conversion of the Roman Emperor Nero, who is considered one of the worst Roman emperors of all time. He was like a tyrant, basically. Um, and it was like the the Hebrews' way of like showing like rebellion against him by creating like this demonic character to represent the emperor in their books. Mm. Um, and like mm. Nero, like Nero's big thing that he uh, like discriminized against was like Christians. That was his big thing. So that's that's all offer that. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, so I don't know. Uh, so the URTV story is in Demon Saga 2, which you said you hadn't played yet. But looking um, forward to it. Yeah, it's. Oh, yeah. I have a lot of uh, I have a lot of patience with the gameplay. I've heard how bad it is. I have a lot of patience. I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, but the but the URTV storyline is probably the the best of that game. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited one of for the it. Best out of the whole series, I think. Um, at least to me, it is because um, I really thought that. Like it, it's a, it's unfortunate that Saga kind of happened the way it did, but yeah, um, it's still like it's still very powerful, mm-hmm. and um, I think that like the 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 spirituality of it is kind of interesting as well, um, because um, basically, yeah, the the URTV is recreated as like kind of a weapon against Udu yeah. or God in this case really and um, Junior is like he's the one that has like I can't remember if he has like the purest anti-wave form or uh, if it's like but he's like the leader like they ha- they have to have him to be able to use it so I thought that was interesting and why, you know, he had the 666 or basically like what you said, like the imperfect number or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, they kind of use that, but it's it's difficult because the other URTVs are kind of like they're not really given that much screen time. Not as much as Junior, so yeah, well, I mean, Alvito's like the the most, the second most, um, but Negredo is the one who, I think he's the one who's supposed to uh, destroy the Red Dragon. If it goes or out of control. If it, if it goes out yeah. of control. That's, so, uh, wow, okay. Uh, and um, uh, Albedo is a conjoined twin, and yeah. then Citrine is uh she actually has the same function. She said she has the same function as Negredo, but I'm not sure why. Um, well, she's a female variant, so... Yeah, but it's like a fail-safe for a fail-safe kind of thing. There's yeah, a lot yeah. of fail-safes in Xenosaga, so... <laughs> <laughs> yes, there are. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... So, a really interesting thing to me was Dmitry Yuryev's Temptation. That whole arc to me was really cool. Like, uh, the whole Abel's Ark part where, uh, you go through and, like, fear is also a very big thing in Mm. Zima Saga. I don't know if you knew that. I've kind of gone, like, there's so much I haven't seen, uh, but I'm looking forward to it. There, there's like a, almost like a, a, a God-fearing thing 
because there's like with Udu, if you come into contact with Udu, like like oh, yeah, Dimitri you, did, you go insane, you get, right? Like you get overcome with like fear. Fear was what it like. Uh, he well, he didn't I go mean, insane, but he became overcome with fear and it caused mean, him to act outwardly in that way. Yeah. I mean, that's how, yeah, how Yuriev even developed the URTV program in general was because it was driven by his fear of Udu. Yeah, he was scared of Udu, so he created the URTVs in response to uh, him going him going through the transfer exper- experiments, uh, was, mm-hmm. was sending uh, human beings to the UMN, uh, and he was the only one that ever survived. Yeah. And... So it's also I mean that's kind of interesting because Xenosaga is like from what I understand it's the it's the one where like the protagonists have like the closest thing to uh assisting in God's ideals and like what he's trying to do cuz like there's Abel and Abel's arc. Um like I think uh is I am Abel's under- not really Abel's not really like that. Like he's he's obs- he's observing, right? So right. Yeah. Yeah, he's kind of on the side. But he, but like everyone else is like very much like either like free him or like get uh like reject them. But, but like the, the party seem like at least Shion like seems very like okay with Abel generally. The party doesn't really like understand, I think, what's going on. Sure. In the same on the same level that we're like explained to it. Um like they don't really I don't think they get like I don't think I don't think they totally I don't think the party fully grasps Udu okay. in Xenosaga. It's it's not like a it's it's present and like he sh- he shows up and like yeah, I think like Xion has a very unique relationship with Udu, which is kind of like a symbolization for like a relationship with God. But um there's like um like, they don't really talk about Udu as much as you would think. And that's probably because of the way Xenosaga got handled. Yeah, because, um, like, episode one and two were originally supposed to be a single episode, right? And then three was yeah, just really condensed. But I don't really think they understand Correct. as far as uh, Abel being, a like, a observational conduit for Udu. I don't, I don't really think the party understands that. As well, isn't... Isn't also Abel's arcs like an in, like a part of Udu as well? Correct. Yeah, it's it's uh, the, yeah. It's, it's... A- Abel's Abel and Abel's arc are both observational terminals. One is uh, just one is one is in the real number domain, and one's the imaginary do- number domain. Hmm. Uh, but like, I don't really think the party like totally understands that because, like, when all this stuff happens at the end of Xenosaga, like when they get to the end, and you know they. Like, they're explaining, you know, Mary Magdalene and stuff. Everyone's just kind of like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to, but, like... Don't worry about it. Everyone's like, everyone, like, even Xion's like, what What the heck do you mean, you know? Like, um... Right. Uh, uh, but, um, they're not really... I don't really think they're, like, assisting, um, but, like... Like, like... Like with childhood's end and gears, like Xenosog is very much like a free will thing. Sure. Like the, they get they get to the end and it's just like well, we we want to do this, you know, instead of you know what what you decided, Wilhelm, because Wilhelm kind of tries to tempt everybody into resetting the universe. Right. That's, that, kind that, of that's like a, yeah, eternal deal. recurrence. Mm-hmm. 
but um yeah um i don't i th- i just think that in xenogears the party kind of like understands the situation a lot more by the end like they they reveal a lot of stuff to the party like um uh deus and all that stuff and you know the eldridge and stuff yeah they like i they reveal that they was... reveal that to the party and they they like they 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 kind of it, like it, react it, like that but yeah, it takes them, like it takes them a minute but then they kind of get it i guess yeah mm-hmm. they're just like uh in xenosaga they're just like you know like what the hell are you using able for you know like to yeah i don't like the, uh, they they're like i, I just it's just kind of weird. In, yeah, in all, yeah, it all kind of comes together at the end of Xenosaga, and there it just kind of throws a lot of information. Like it throws a lot of information at both the players and the the characters at the end of Xenosaga, and I, I can understand that's a lot to digest. We fun. <laughs> I'm a yeah. I'm a lord I'm yeah. a lord nerd. So this is completely up my boat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, Xenosaga 3 literally starts off, like, they recommend you read that giant, like, resource at the very beginning. Because uh, it's like per- a time skip. Guy. Well, they, like, there's a bunch of stuff, like, there's... there's No, but I mean, like, no, in no, no, game, no, no, there's no, like no. a... Oh. Yeah, he's talking... You see, uh, continuity-wise, if, in case you weren't aware, there's a big time skip between episode 2 and episode 3. I know there's about, I know about a missing year, but I don't know how big yeah. the time skip is. Yeah, it's a it's a year. It's and, a year. Uh, it's, yeah, yeah, and uh, basically, when you boot up episode three, it's like here's everything that happened in the first game, everything that happened in the second game, and also here's a database, and all the stuff that happened in between is in the database. Jeez, I have a lot more than that. I knew I was going to have to read uh, Pied Piper, but... <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. like, you start up the game, and that's, like, one of the options on the main menu, and you kind of have to read that, and there's a lot of stuff in there. All right, yeah. so just got to take a weekend and read through it. Sounds, sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. Because... Well... I read through wikis. As as good as episode one is, um, and, like, I like episode two, Xenosaga uh, 3 kind of exists in its own little bubble mm-hmm. that is, like for in for canon purposes because it like like as an experience it kind of like separates itself from a lot of the rest of the series for sure. some reason okay and um but i love saga 3 a lot and uh huh. uh it does uh utilize like a there's this uh do you know what eschatology is uh sounds familiar i'm sure if you mention it i'll remember it but <laughs> Um, eschatology is, uh, like a word in religious study that is basically like a, it's basically like the end times, like revelation and stuff oh, like yeah, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, eschatology can really just mean, like, the judgment of everyone's souls. So, like, Christ dying on the cross for our sins and stuff like that, mm-hmm. that's like, that's like an eschatological part of the... Bible. So it'd be like the end, the end go like the destination, so, I guess. So I think that like the uh, eschatology of Xenosaga like starts when the Zohar is found. Like that's when it starts for humanity because the Zohar is found and lost Jerusalem disappears and all that stuff. Yeah, like that. But like eschatology could just mean like uh, like a can also mean like a like a severe ideological change. Huh. Um, 
for example, there is a sect of Islam called the Baha'i Faith, and they believe that um, the end times is every single time a prophet comes with new words from God. So they believe that, you know, the world has ended several times over and they are just waiting for the next prophet. Um, it's weird. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's, it's different. And, uh, like Xenosaga is kind of like, you know, there's the, there's the Zohar that was discovered, but then also, um, there's, uh, Wilhelm using the Zarathustra for eternal recurrence and the Gnosis, like you said, like there was like this huge, like, you know, the devil rise and stuff like that. And like the Gnosis are very much the spirit form of humanity. Yeah. And so you probably know about that, but they're also, they're also Xenosaga's like explanation for entropy and space. And oh, okay. which was kind of interesting. Like, I, I knew about, I knew like recur- ultra recurrent because, uh, <laughs> All the souls in like the collective unconscious gets too much individuality and basically tears itself apart. Yeah, yeah, it's mm. kind of like you know Evangelion uh, instrumentality stuff. But well, like collective unconscious is very much young idea, even though it's used kind of liberally yeah. in Xenosaga. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It, th- that's and that was the thing about Xenosaga too is that like it's there's stuff that's there, but like it's hard to make a complete connection with some things because of the way that it is. Yeah, this like, would be... There's a, like, the, like, the Gnosis in Xenosaga 1 are more prominently, like, displayed and named and stuff like that in Xenosaga 1, and they're, like, actually, like, a force to be reckoned with, but then in Xenosaga 3, it's just like, yeah, this thing is kind of happening. Wow, and, that's... Uh, they kind of build up the Gnosis a lot in... One, I'm kind of surprised yeah, about that. It's, and they're not yeah. as important. Like the characters are what Saga Three decides to focus on, but right. even then, they can't focus it on on them the entire time. Sure. Uh, so it's kind of like, oh, well, it, well, definitely uh, the doses were more important in Episode Three than they were in Episode Two because Oh yeah, two, Episode yeah. Two is like. Where are the gnosis at? Yeah, well, let me. I, I, from what I understand about episode two, that's much more about like, like it's it, there's a lot of it was devoted to Junior's perspective. So you have like a lot of albedo yeah. and well, right. it's Junior's perspective, and there's also another thing to realize too is that there's a lot of events that happen in Xenosaga two where that t- basically and Xenosaga three too. There's a lot of Xenosaga that's like told like retroactively, like this happened in the past. Yeah, that's and... that's what I, actually that's why I like the past a lot. That's why I like the Encephalon so much. <laughs> but um, but definitely, definitely, you'll find like something to like about the um, like the collective unconscious stuff in Saga Three because yeah. of the Gnosis and stuff like yeah. that. I yeah, I generally and, I generally know about it. And I've got the uh, and it's it's basically it's. It's basically kind of got like a similar message to Gears. I think I don't think that faith is bad in uh, Xenosaga. Um, the ODM actually has something really interesting to say about it. Okay, I'm gonna bring up the translation here because I I got my um, ODM and I'm so excited. Um, oh, yeah, and once I once I get all the games, then the collecting begins. The only like collect, the, <laughs> like I I have like the uh, the special editions for Xenoblade Chronicles two, the uh, the special edition of the music that was released in Japan. I got that imported, and then I oh nice yeah uh, I didn't get the USB, but I got the uh, the Type B one 
the USB only made four thousand. So oh, nice. the USB for no, I did not. I did not get that one, but I got oh. the I got Type B, which was the uh, the CD ones. But it has all the same stuff. It's just CDs instead of the USB. So. <laughs> Still rare. <laughs> nice. Uh, this um, kind of uh, I guess the I guess I have the ODM opened up here. It's page eighty nine. It's uh, about uh, it says. Uh, Christianity, and it says uh, the cross. It says uh, in the UTIC organization's military base, Pleroma, there is a cross which indicates this place is involved in Christianity. Also, it is confirmed that both of the UTIC organization's officers, Commander Margulis and Vice Commander Pellegree, were wearing an accessory of the cross. And also, it is the same with Nephilim, who lives in the imaginary number domain. This sentence right here. It says, it is not thought that those who wear this kind of fashion have chosen foolish behavior. And I was like, oh, that's like the most blatant thing that I've ever heard actually, about it. Well, actually, that um, they kind of followed that up in Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Um, the, uh, actually, let me bring that up. Uh, I, I was going to bring this when we got to Xenoblade 2, but this is probably the best part I can bring this up. Um, I'm going to pull up Proverb number, uh, chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 7. Uh, there's a, this, um, this is appears around the world tree at the end of the game. Uh, it says the f- mm-hmm. the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and uh, f- but fools despise winst- wisdom and instruction. So basically, that's like saying like uh, uh, fear of the Lord being like respect and so like that. That's where knowledge and wisdom begins, and only the fools will fear that. So that kind of ties into that a little bit. Uh, yeah, yeah, I see that. It also <laughs> talks about Buddhism and the ODM. That's um, interesting. I I'd, I'd, uh, I'd like to read some of that. Yeah, says, I'm kind of. Sub- it says that oh. it has also been confirmed that Tony spoke aloud the words uh, "nan man dabu," and uh, says it can be explained that they are the words that mean "I lend my ear to the teaching of Buddha and I abide by it." Mm-hmm. Huh. Interesting. And it says, it says, ultimately, in present day, Buddhism has also taken root among people the same as Christianity. Huh. Well, um, yeah. And well, I know. What is it? Oh, no, I was just going to say, I know that, like, Japan, I know they're mostly Buddhists with the, like, was it 1% is Christianity? Yeah, like, Japan is very little Christian, which is why you get all these uh, stories that use kind of Christian symbolism in a little bit more of a liberal way, because it's a lot less controversial mm-hmm. over there. Yeah. Um, uh, go go on. Yeah, uh, I don't know that much about Buddhism, but um, that's I the, think it's that's the next topic I hope to tackle. That's uh, that's yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> like specifically <laughs> Zen too. Buddhism. Like, there's a def- bunch of different variants, but I want to look into Zen Buddhism because there's a lot of really interesting ideas there that would be appealing to me. Integrate that into a little bit of my own worldview. You know, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of interesting stuff there. Uh, then there's this other page on the ODM I haven't read, which is God is a general idea. What is God? And like that whole thing. I can link it to you later if you want. Sure. Um, oh, can you yeah, link that to me as well? I'd like to <laughs> link it to, <laughs> link it to everyone. I'll take yeah. that. Um, yeah. yeah, I'll 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 look into that later. Is there like uh, a do you recommend me finishing the games before I Oh shit. What no that's on my computer. That's why that doesn't work. Do do you recommend um oh. do you recommend us uh looking into uh reading uh do you recommend me playing the games before looking into it or um so 
my experience with Xenosaga was I experienced it and then I started looking up stuff about it. Um, well, and I, I think I've kind of taken like a weird cross between the two. Yeah, it's it's I th- I find that to be like more like engaging because I don't know it kind of like lets me like figure things out by myself, you know. Sure. But um, like. Uh, well, I think either way could probably work. Yeah, either way would There's work. There's value yeah, to both, yeah. Like, yeah. Because, so, like, uh, although you lose some of the plot twists, you also are able to, un- like, for Gears, I researched a lot of it before I actually played it, and yeah. although mm-hmm. a lot of the plot twists would be lost on me, I can actually make sense of what was going on, so... This ends part one of our chat about religion and Zeno. Tune in next time and we'll continue our discussion on Zeno Saga and then on to Xenoblade and their relation to religion. Thank you for listening and take care. Bye.